thank you to Josh for preaching last week while I was somewhere. So it, it is good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, as we continue our study of the Sermon on the Mount, or as we like to call it, a kingdom upside down, that Jesus would give us a different vision, a different view of the world in which we live. And we have rounded the corner, though your Bible and my Bible have chapters. Uh, typically, what we, what we realize as we've researched is they weren't there when we got the original manuscripts. So Jesus is coming to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to begin in verse 7, Matthew, or, or actually, yes, verse 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a serpent? If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good, gifts, give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And to those who enter by it are, are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. As we see here... Typically, this is divided into three sections. As a matter of fact, if you begin in Matthew chapter 5 and look through the entirety of your scriptures, you see that there are various uh, paragraph headers, uh, references to how this scripture is to be divided. What we miss, and that's a great thing. Hear me say that. It helps us with, for the sake of being linear. It helps us to make sure that we get from one place to the next. It gives us an understanding as to what's coming. But with that, you sometimes miss how all of this is interconnected. And how what we see with Jesus here is him shaping for us how we're to not only talk to God, but talk to others about God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, as we read through that part of the text, what, if we just take that one verse... And we isolate it like lots of people do theologically. What we will find is we have a God who will give us whatever we ask for. Kids at my house, Noli is an interesting little bird. If you spent any time with her, she is, uh, she is comedy. And she is also um, 
She's a hot mess. She's got both of those things going for her uh, most of the time. Uh, when she was around two and a half, we, we was uh, having conversations with me and my wife about the same stuff, but giving us different opinions. And your kids do this too, or they may have done this when you had small children. They like to try to pitch you against each other or get permission through negotiation. So Noli begins to come to me with things on her mind, ask or go to her mother asking questions. So she would go to Hope and she would say something to the effect of, can I have jelly beans for breakfast? Well, the answer to that is always going to be what? No, you cannot have jelly beans for breakfast. And Noli's immediate reply, me being in another room, sometimes in another state, was, uh, Daddy said I could. I've never given permission for a child to eat jelly beans for breakfast. Uh, Can I sit on top of someone's head? No. No, you cannot sit on anyone's head. No one. Ever. Well, Daddy said I could. Can I punch a baby? No, Magnolia, you cannot punch a baby. Specifically, the baby that shares a room with you. But Daddy said I could. Can I poop in the driveway? No! Her idea was, if I ask for it, my daddy has already told me that I can have it. If you replace me with God and Noli with with most people, that's the way most of us have always understood this verse apart from the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. God's a good, good father. That's who he is. That's who he is. I want to talk to him, ask questions of him, and he will give me whatever I want. God said I could. See? Anything goes. John Calvin, theologian, when he promises to grant whatever we wish, he does not permit an undisciplined asking. So when God tells us that he will answer these questions for us. That is shaped by the idea that we have been pursuing him. Go with me here as you look at Matthew chapter 7. It makes no sense for Jesus who for what we call two and a half chapters has been telling us it's about God, it's about God, it's about your heart before God, it's about your desire before God, it's about how you view God to drop out and say, but whatever you want, you can have it. That's not how it works. So so what we see here is Jesus is not so much telling us about uh, us praying to get what we want, but God becoming who we want when we pray. So the first thing we see, if you're a note taker, is constant petition. That's what Jesus has asked for from us. A constant petition. Talk to me. So so the words that Jesus gives. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Come after me. Are are we persistent prayers? 
Not do we give persistent prayers, but are we in our relationship with Jesus being shaped by him in such a way where we are every day asking God, I need an answer for this. I need you to come and talk to me. Because when we look through the scriptures, we see that Jesus and Paul, who lines up with Jesus, regardless of what many people try to argue, that Jesus and is telling us God wants you to bother him. Ask, seek, knock, talk to me. There is no problem too large. There is nothing too small. Now, God may not give you the answer that you want, but in your persistence, He becomes who you want. So that regardless of what that answer happens to be, you've gotten it from the one that you want to be with. Bother me. Bother me. Here's why we should bother Him. Because in our persistence, we begin to see his character and know him better. And as we see him and know him better, we realize that there are times for us when we're going to want things that aren't our best. That aren't what happen to be best for us in our scenarios and in our situation, yet we happen to want them right then and there. Verse 8. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who also, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Or, or of which one of you? And Jesus goes into an illustration. And as he's teaching these people, he's not just illustrating with these random ideas that he plucks from the air. He's actually using what's around him. Stones in Galilee, from what, every, from what archaeologists tell us, look like bread. Look like the bread that they would eat. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, is going to give him a stone? Or if one asks for a fish, who's going to give him a serpent? Shepard did some research for a project at school. And he studied what's called a sea snake. And in Galilee, this area where Jesus happens to be preaching and teaching, sea snakes are prevalent. So are eels. And Jesus here is referencing that. It's an unclean fish for the Jewish people. So Jesus is saying here, as you ask, seek, knock, as you get to know me, you realize I'm not going to give you things that are not what you need. We don't give our kids stuff like that, right? Jesus is saying to me, hey, as you ask and as you seek and as you knock, your persistence matters. I was on a plane and it was one of those scenarios where nothing was going right. And I don't know if you've ever been in this situation. They're not fun. A young lady sits beside me. I will eventually find out that she's a nurse. And then another lady comes in who'd spent a little bit too much time at Papacitos. And she was sitting beside us too. And she begins to have a conversation letting us know that she thought she was going to be sick. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't feel good either. So... <laughs> She's sitting beside the girl and then this lady who's sick from various drinks with salty rims, she asks more questions and she asks us, hey, can I have that bag? 
tell me again about which bag you need. And so we hand this little lady the bag. And then this lady begins to tell us her problems and her life story and about her sickness. And the young lady beside me in the midst of all of this is trying to help her because she's a nurse. Is there anything that I can do for you? Can I get you a Sprite or a, a tomato juice based beverage to follow up whatever happened? Can, can we do something to help you? No, I just think I'm going to be sick. So the girl then says, let me call the airplane person. Because that's what I call them, the airplane person. And we'll get her to come help you. No, do not do that. And then the lady said, I think I'm going to throw up. And I'm thinking, yes, do that. Push that button, right? So she calls for the lady to come back. And when she comes back, she begins to have a conversation. This uh, steward with me and person number one, the nurse, and person number two, the margarita. And as she's talking to all three of us, she says to her, is there anything that we can do for you? We're not sure that you're able to fly. And the lady says, I think I want to be fine. And then the steward walks away. And the sick lady then looks at person number two and says, Did you call them on me? And I begin to do what men do in this scenario. I'm just hiding. And she said, Well, yes, ma'am, I was worried about you. And the lady said to her, when I throw up, I'm going to throw up on you. (laughs) And then she pushes the button again. (laughs) Persistently pushing the button. The steward comes. They escort the lady off of the plane. And while we're waiting for her to be escorted, I'm hiding in the bathroom. And... What Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7 is every day there are situations and scenarios where you need to be persistent. Where you need to be bothering me. Bothering me for the sake of response. Bothering me for the sake of reply. Hoping and holding on to the idea that no one deals with this but me. Do we bother God? Shaped by who God is and all that God has said to us, are we people who are coming to him saying, God, nobody can do this but you. Nobody can do this but you. Constant petition. Bother me. You also see Jesus says, other things for us in regards to our constant petition because our constant position will lead us to a Christ-like depiction. Look at me with what happens in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you do also to them. Because this is the law and the prophets. Now Jesus, second time here in the Sermon on the Mount, he's referenced the law and the prophets and the people know this. They're familiar with it. For for the Pharisees, they're really familiar with it. And at this point, they're furious. For the those who were just overhearing Jesus, they're 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 a little curious. And then you've got the disciples who are saying, you know what? We we do. We're, we're getting to know the law and the prophets because we we've not had our Bibles for years, and these Pharisees have been misteaching us. Jesus, we 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 want to to know 
how we should treat other people. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do that to them. Well, how do we know how God wants us to live before others if not for us pursuing Him in prayer and through His Word? How do we treat other people? How do you treat other people? So around us, in our neighborhoods and in our communities, there are people who see our cars leave our driveways on Sunday mornings. They see you leave at 10, 10 well, they see you leave at 1024. We're going to have a harder conversation about that later. But they see you leave at 1024. They see you drive down Dixie Drive. They see you come into this parking lot. They see the people that you associate with. They know that the bulk of you leave your home one night a week to go meet with other people who claim to have the same beliefs. Your neighbors see that there is a faith in theory. Do they see a faith in practice? One of the things that we should be constantly petitioning God for is not that we would simply know things about the Bible but that people would know him through our lives reflecting the teachings of Jesus in the Bible. Two thousand seventeen, we as those who claim to follow Jesus should reflect the words of Jesus more by the way that we live than by whatever our political affiliation is. We should overflow with the word of Jesus and by his constant compassion for people more than the talking heads that we like to listen to on the radio as we drive to work. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do this to them. So here we get into this whole thing of law and grace and judgment and wrath versus mercy. And we begin to think about how when people wrong us. And I would imagine, hypothetically, in this room, you've been wronged by someone. Maybe you've been wronged by someone in this room. Our response and reply to said frustration is typically someone should straighten them out. Someone should fix this. Someone should correct this. Or if it's a bigger situation, someone hurts us, wrongs us, does us dirty. They deserve to be punished. 
I want them to be punished. I want them to be mistreated. I want them to be or treated fairly for their wrongdoing. They should be dealt with. However, in so thinking, we have forgotten the fact that we are imperfect people. And for every one of us who sits in this room regularly, there have been moments for you where your imperfection have caused people to feel the same way about you. And maybe you do realize it. I've wronged them, I've hurt them, I've mistreated them. But you don't want justice for you. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, personal, Jesus talking to a very personal situation, you do that to them. If you want to be treated mercifully and sacrificially, then you are to act, react, and interact in a way that is merciful and sacrificial. Do unto others. This is the law and the prophets. And remember, Jesus has already said to us, all of the law and the prophets, they find their completion in me. Well, where do they find that completion? Jesus knows he's going to the cross. And he is setting up for us the very truth that the entirety of the Christian faith is based on sacrifice. So, those who follow me are to reflect and resemble that. Christ-like depiction... We also see this. For believers in Jesus, we are to have a very clear conviction. Again, ask, seek, knock, so that you will know who I am. The golden rule. Care and love in a way that reflects me, so that they will know who I am. Because at the end of the day, all that matters is who I am. Well, who is he? He's the narrow road. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. The Beatitudes are a list of these. As you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has built towards all of this. Everything that he's been saying is bringing us to this place where the narrow gate is presented and people will have to choose. Am, am I for him or am I against him? The Beatitudes are a list of these countercultural narrow gate thoughts. When Jesus says salt and light, he is speaking to a wide place and he is saying, let them see the light in the midst of the darkness. The six antitheses that we looked at, those 
places where Jesus said, but, but I say to you, are lining up for us the idea of him being the narrow gate. The way that this has been interpreted is wrong, Jesus says. I'm the interpretation of it. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray in the most unique way. He teaches us to pray so that we would hallow the name of God. And here Jesus gives us this direction. You enter through me. You don't enter through your behavior or your misbehavior. You don't enter through your deeds or the deeds of someone else. You enter through me. And as he says, enter through me, he says, because destruction is easy. Who doesn't like easy? I coached soccer one year for Shep. I don't know anything about soccer other than they just kick the ball a lot and that you're supposed to score but no one ever does. <laughs> Communist kickball. And as I'm coaching the soccer, I'm learning really helpful soccer terms. Not really. I created terms for it. I created what I called a scrum. That's a rugby term. I just threw it in because these kids run around in this amoeba all of the time. I call. Um, I don't know if you're supposed to have plays in soccer, but I made one up called Jedi, where after Star Wars, uh, where you look the other direction and throw the ball that direction, then you just pray that they score. Uh, I, we were soccer coaches, and really, I was more of the motivational speaker for the soccer team because my co-coach was better at it. Now, there was one day though where I noticed Shepard, and Shepard is—he's a talker. He likes to chat it up. I've noticed it with our neighbors. He likes to inter- interview them or interrogate them, whichever way you lean. And we're on the soccer field, and, and I'm over here with my arms crossed trying to look serious. And, and I see that Shepard has been running beside the referee the entire game. And he tugged his shorts a couple of times to ask him questions. Shepard let the referee know that the referee had gotten some calls wrong. <laughs> if you've ever watched ESPN, there's a documentary called 30 for 30 about the, the bad boy Pistons. And you probably don't remember this. They, were the, they won the NBA championship in the 80s and, and 88, 89. They had, their best player was a guy named Isaiah Thomas. But their heart and soul was this guy who was not as athletic. He could not shoot as well. But... He was the one who was roughing up players. He was always talking to refs. And I'm watching my kid, and he, he is the Bill Lambeer of this team. Just being mean, and not even mean, just being persistent. <laughs> the, there was an on-goal kick, a free kick. If you don't know soccer terminology like me, that means there's a kick that's going to be free. And uh, as we're watching... Their coach, because it's a little league, uh, upward league, he sets up his four boys in front of the goal for the free kick, which does not seem that free to me. And didn't seem free to sit Shepard either. So as the coach is leaving the field, Shepard begins to have a conversation with those four boys, letting them know that they need to move so he can kick the ball in the goal. <laughs> and I watch as these four boys listen to him. <laughs> And they part like the Red Sea and Shepard kicks the goal and acted like he had won the World Cup. (laughs) What you find is that we all like easy. We love to be able to convince people to to do what we want and say what we want. We like simple things. C.S. Lewis has said, if 
you and I, if, if we want easy, we should not try Christianity. A narrow gate. Choosing Jesus means that we choose the narrow path. A narrow path that's shaped by prayer and that is reflective of Him. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Jesus says here that for destruction to come, nothing really has to happen. In another place, in John chapter 3, verse 17, the one that most of us don't read, he says that we are condemned already. That we are objects of wrath. That's the phrase that Paul uses. And in each of these scenarios, there is a picture of rescue painted. And that rescue that is painted never varies. It's Jesus. So when we say that we're going to enter by the narrow gate... What we are coming alongside of Jesus saying is, if I'm going to come through the narrow gate, then the narrow gate gets to shape me and my path. Take out all the externals of Christianity. All of the things that are just kind of there because it's part of Christian culture in 2017. Do our lives say that we trust Jesus? Because to trust Jesus, you are saying that you are secure with the idea that the gate being narrow and the way being hard that that leads to life. Are we finding our lives shaped by the narrow path? Well, what about my behaviors? Go with me to verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Whoever comes to you in sheep's clothing, but inward, but beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. People love to talk about judging or how we shouldn't do it. Yet it 
And Josh even spent some, a really, some quality time last week talking about what judgment is. But here Jesus comes and he talks about this idea. Again, this very statement by Jesus has judgmental implications. You will know them by what they produce. So what we find here is not so much us being judgmental in the Judge Judy kind of way. It's more along lines of you're a fruit inspector. So if we're going to live out the Christian faith together, there has to be an idea present for us that someone is in our lives who is able to say to us, hey, what you're doing, that needs to be cut off because you're not bearing good fruit. If this is real, sincere. So the scriptures, when Paul talks about fruit, he gives us some examples of those. The fruits of the Spirit, and those are what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, oh, that's the song. Uh, We recognize those words. So, when we begin to inspect our fruit and the fruit of those who are close to us, are those things prevalent? Are they present Are they obvious or are they obscured? Because you can drive here every Sunday and you can go to every life group and you can show up for women's ministry and you can do the things that are offered and then the extracurricular things that we do and you can sing songs and you can look at screens and you can listen to me talk and you can sing along with Jared and the band and you cannot be a follower of Jesus which is mortifying. Chad, are you wanting me to question my faith? With eternity in mind, I would say for every one of us to look at our lives and if we see a consistent lack of Christian consistency, then yes. Yes. Do our lives line up with Jesus? J.C. Hare, pastor, says this, If we do not bring forth good works, we ought to be convinced that we cannot have been created anew in Christ Jesus. That in one way or the other, the process of our regeneration has been marred. Good works are the mark, the proof, the evidence of Christian life. They are the means through which the members of that community are bound together. And the Christian life is brought to pervade them all. And just from a pragmatic standpoint, that's a whole lot of stuff for you to be doing for your faith to not be sincere. That's a dumb exercise. Sleep more. Go play golf. If we don't want this to be real. Because we make choices. Jesus takes us there. You will recognize them 
by their fruits. What do our choices say about what we believe? What are our decisions saying about our faith in Jesus? Are they communicating to those around us that this Jesus is really real to us? Because in all honesty, we're in the South. Well, we're in Texas, which is a little different, but still the South. Sort of. This is a hard conversation for another day. But we do have cultural expectations in regards to Christianity. Everybody believes. Every person on my street, for the most part, would claim faith. Lots of people that you spend your time with claim faith. If we want to know what someone really believes, what we have to examine is what they do. Now what I love is that we have people here who are doing for the sake of the gospel. And I want to encourage you in that. But for the rest of us, we have to begin to look and wrestle and contemplate how is my faith becoming a more clear picture today than it was yesterday? Because that's what becoming more like Jesus really is. My faith looking more like Jesus than it did yesterday. I'm going to read 21 through 23. Because this is where it really gets uncomfortable. We're going to spend some time here next week as well. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. In one of Jesus' parables, he talks about a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee who represents everything that is good and right. At least in the eyes of the people. The most accepted man in the community. If anyone is to, is religious, it's this guy. The tax collector, the most despised person in all of Israel. Hated. Hated. Absolutely hated. The Pharisee prays, looks at the tax collector and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like, and gives off a laundry list of people that he is not like. And then he concludes as he stands beside the filthy tax collector and says, and I'm not like this tax collector. The tax collector. 
Praise, have mercy on me, a sinner. So let's imagine that the two of these men are in an accident that involves a camel. Because that's where I imagine biblical accidents happen. Camel runs over both of them. Two humps, one for each of them. And as this takes place, they go to stand before God in all of eternity. And Jesus lets us know which one is going to be accepted. Which is surprising to everyone who overhears. And when he stand, they stand before God, that's exactly... Everyone is surprised. The Pharisee walks in and he is confident in his behavior. He's confident in his good works. And when he gets to the creator of the universe, he begins to list off his pharisaical accomplishments. God, let me tell you who I was better than. Let me tell you who my behavior was more appropriate than. Let me let you know how much I gave and how I tithed on my spices. God, let me let you know how, in, how wonderful I am. And in the sight of literally God and everybody, I'm fine. And God looks at him and says, depart from me, you never, I never knew you. The Pharisee backs up. God, maybe you missed the part where I taught people how to understand the Torah. Maybe you missed that part about tithing again. Maybe you missed and gives off this incredibly long list. And God's question for him is his question for all of us. Who asked you to? Who asked you to? Because it wasn't me. This gospel story that we keep looking at. If we are not starting with God the Father, the maker of all things. Who is calling us to walk through the narrow path. Then it doesn't matter how narrow we've made our own paths. Who asked you to? The the tax collector gets drug in. He knows this is a problematic situation. God have mercy on me, a sinner. God have mercy on me, a sinner. He's just snotting all over himself. And God welcomes him in because he realized that he was on the path to destruction apart from him. So our options are to keep cleaning ourselves up looking at our own lives and finding justification in our own justification or we can be shaped by the justification of Jesus daily letting that narrow path make us more like him as we ask, seek, knock as we love our neighbors we care for the world around us would you bow your heads with me right now
Jesus, we thank you for today and and we thank you for the chance that we've had to, to be present here. Lord, we realize as we look at your word how much we need you. God, over our people at Grace. I pray that your word will be consistently invading our hearts. Helping us to see and know you as the narrow path that leads to life. Jesus, I pray over these people. That the opportunities that you place in their lives. To show that we have a Christ-like conviction for our neighbors will be something that we take hold of and that we run with. Lord, let us never lose sight of the idea that that you are the narrow path that leads to life. Because Jesus, you have accomplished on the cross what we are unable to accomplish on our own. You have made yourself the gate. So when we ask, seek, and knock, we are talking to you. For you have set yourself as the standard so that we will be merciful and sacrificial because of you. So we will sing today that we believe that it is finished because we want to hold true to that security. We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. And as we, everyone stands, we sing together. If you need me, I'm over here to my left-hand side.